Coming up next, a long-expected podcast. Welcome to the Booking. This is Nathan Emerson, your humble and obedient host. I am so happy to be talking about The Hobbit, which is what's going to happen in this episode. We are going to talk about The Hobbit. Ask not what The Hobbit can talk for you, but ask what you can talk for The Hobbit. Yes, that's right, folks. That was worth completing <laughs> and a great introduction to this Hobbit podcast and a wonderful impression. Who's to say that Kennedy didn't just walk in here? And podcast a little bit. You don't, you don't know. That might have been him. I know. I'll let the mystery linger. Yeah. The, the number one mystery about John F. Kennedy. Let's just say either way, I was amazed. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Certainly felt like the ghost of old John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Is that his middle name, Fitzgerald? Uh, I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. I think it I is. I'm going to guess Frederick. Frederick? All right. I'm going to guess Frankfurter. <laughs> John Frankfurter Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. I'm looking it up. It's Fitzpatrick. It's- What'd you say? I said Fitz... What did I say? You said Fitzgerald. It is Fitzgerald. Oh. Yeah. John Fitzgerald Jack Kennedy, often referred to by the initials JFK, was an American politician who served as the 35th president of the United States till his assassination. At such a time, that's how Wikipedia begins. But the way that the Hobbit begins is in a hole in the ground there lived a Hobbit. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, folks, let me introduce you to our panelists. My name is Nathan Aberson. Every time you say that, it reminds me of one of those old shows, game shows from the 50s or whatever. Yeah. yeah. What's my line? But or... first, let's meet our panel to panelists. Jacob Menzel is a pastor from Bloomington, mm-hmm. Indiana. One of those kinds of things. Yeah, you've got the, like, you got to guess the mystery person behind the curtain or whatever. It's Ted Williams or it's, you know. Or they'll even have someone whose face you don't know, you might not know, but you know who they are. Like, they might get, like, T.S. Eliot, say. They probably, right. probably T.S. Eliot didn't do it, but. Get somebody like yeah. that, and I am a great poet. I wrote the Wasteland, and then someone says, "Is it T. S. Eliot?" But it's yeah. Marilyn Monroe saying, "Is it T. S. Eliot?" Right. It's all celebrities. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's like the masked singer. Yep. That I kept seeing advertisements for last night. Oh boy, the masked oh, singer man. got a bump yesterday. From it's possible that you watched it. That <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> we I should would, say we're recording. I this. would have if I was not watching Fox Sports app on my Amazon. I Prime. was gonna. I was gonna make some reference to Chris Evans or John Krasinski. And ask for better. Yep. And speaking of better, there's no one better at podcasting than Brandon Chastine. Hey, scholar who's a baller of reading. Yeah. Unless, of course, it's Jacob Menzel, the pastor who's a master of reading. Jacob at least doesn't need one of these on his head. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. We should explain. Brandon currently has a pipe cleaner. Touching his forehead. Yep. Top of my head. And this is because we offer quality, folks. And what we like to do is solve problems when we hear about them. And we've got some complaints that sometimes Brandon can be slightly less audible than the rest of us. This is because Brandon has terrible mic technique. Has terrible mic technique. Always has. Always has. And he likes to lean back and put his hands behind his head and hold forth, which is fine. We love when Brandon holds forth. It is very professorial, but it's not good podcasting. And so technique. they've decided to take care of this. I even came in, and as soon as I saw the pipe cleaner, 
I knew what it was for, didn't I? And then I said, is that for me? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it was. Number of pipe cleaners being used by Jake and Nathan right now, zero. Number of pipe cleaners keeping Brandon tethered to his microphone, one. Yeah. <laughs> it really is pretty humiliating for Brandon, folks. <laughs> it's not unlike one of those dog like things sh- that like keeps the dog. collar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of those cones that the dog wears so the dog can't lick itself. Yeah, works. I like it, Nathan. There you go. And you know what I like? The Hobbit. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. You, People mean may... we, you mean what we already talked about last week, Nathan? In, in a podcast called An Unexpected Podcast? Yeah. This podcast is, I'm, I'm, I think it'll be called The Hobbit because that'll get the most clicks, but I'm just between us girls, I'm going to call it a long expected podcast because people really wanted this podcast last week, but we went off on like art and sports and... Hey, Nathan, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I like The no Hobbit. Apologies. I don't make any apologies. I don't either. make any apologies either. You know, I really like The Hobbit. You know what I like best about The Hobbit? What's that? His style. Hey, let's have a long discussion about style again. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. You know who had great style was Kobe Bryant. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. <laughs> so that was last week's podcast. <laughs> so, all right, Brandon, let me ask you this. Big picture. We're, we're talking about The Hobbit. Uh-huh. Folks, right now, the conversation that you've paid for, yeah. and, you, and you did pay for it. They the did. Beginning, where we're going to talk a crazy conversation with insight, wisdom, everything that you've come to know and expect from the booketing. We are going to give you on The Hobbit right now. Brandon, uh-huh. do you really think the reason The Hobbit is a masterpiece, which I think we'd all agree that it is, yeah. is basically comes down to the style. I think the style has a lot to do with it, but I think it's because of what, I think it's Tolkien behind the style that makes it work so well. So you have, well, uh, we, I mean, can I jump in? Please. It's because it's the total package. And the reason yeah. that Brandon fixates on style is because when you come to the fantasy genre, nobody has it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> that's true. The fantasy genre is populated with all kinds of people with amazing world building and ideas and crazy and good stories and compelling stories, but they rarely put all of those things together and and even good characterization, but they rarely put all of those things together. And when they do, they almost never do it with style. Yeah, I mean- With, with real literary taste. You think yeah. about the great genre writers that maybe one day we'll read, but- you think about people like Arthur C. Clarke or Philip K. Dick in the sci-fi. You think about, uh, or you can go face? to what everybody likes to compare the modern. The modern Tolkien is J.K. Rowling. Yeah, it's the way people talk, and you're putting up with a lot of bad writing. You're putting up yep. with a lot of bad writing, and it's not that she's a bad writer, but she doesn't put in near as much. She's a lazy writer with elbow grease. Uh, yeah. What's the word? Very permissive editors. Yeah, and so the world building of Harry Potter is great. The characterization's fun. All those things are there, but the consistent page by page, just quality mm-hmm. of style isn't. Yep. We're willing to forgive Rowling a lot because she tells great stories and builds a cool world and all those sorts of things. But when you have somebody that can really and does, I mean, I really, I really think that Rowling can pull it all together. She does. Yeah. But she didn't. You know? That's what makes it makes me more judgmental when she doesn't. Like, oh, she really is just being lazy here because I think she can write. You have a page or a paragraph or these sentences and turns of phrases that make you think, man, I wish you put as much effort into the rest of your prose as you did this one sentence or this one paragraph. Or, you know, maybe you, you maybe in all of these thousands of pages, one clicked real easy for you. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice if you had put that elbow grease in. Yeah, I would contend there's two things that keep Harry Potter from perfection. Number one, her laziness or her editor's lack of pushing her when it came to the style and number two the 
laziness with which she treats her characters. She's not she's not hard on her characters the way that she should be to really make yeah, the story. Yeah, it's her pop. Mo- lack of moral vision. Precisely. Yeah. To- but Tolkien's got moral vision actually, even in a story that doesn't primarily revolve around good versus evil in this case exactly. And he's also got oodles of style. Okay, Tolkien's style is great. What's so great about Tolkien's style? You want us to rehash last episode? Um, one one of the things that's great about his style is that so this is a it's a story for his children. And one of the things that's great about it is, is that it's engaging and vivid. And but Harry Potter is engaging and vivid, is it not? It is. I'm going to hold your feet to the fire on this one, Brandon. You're going to hold my feet to the fire. Huh? Yep. It doesn't rely on. Oh, well, it relies on the techniques of just good writing, for one. It gets to the point, it's descriptive, but it uses the right amount of words in the right way to be descriptive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't rely on lazy cliches and stereotypes, and yet also there's a life and an ex- and an energy to the his style that's really engaging to read, not just for children, but for me too. Last episode, we talked a lot about how it's like a storyteller. You mm-hmm. can really feel that yeah. coming through. It does feel like you're just sitting around the fire with this guy, but... It's a very clear voice in a storyteller with a very, you know, his own point of view and his own way of telling a story that improves the story. It doesn't, you know, there, there are, there's a kind of a uh, writer who is trying really hard to be stylish and his mm-hmm. writing gets in the way of his story. And yep. then there's the kind of writer that is just telling a story and there's the writings maybe all over the place. Yeah. The thing about the Hobbit in particular is that it feels so easy and natural and yeah. generally speaking when something feels easy and natural it's because someone's put a boatload of work into it but it feels i'm not sure that this is actually an accurate way to describe the process of what probably happened to create it but it feels like you're just getting unfiltered tolkien it feels like what you actually like when you say it's likable is you like tolkien the man you like hearing him talk you like his point of view and his attitude on things yeah. the, the way that he he thinks about his characters no, I think that's partly true, because last episode we also talked a lot about how he's not condescending in the way that some other children's writers are. Mm-hmm. You don't get that sense. You get the sense that he's having as much fun mm-hmm. as you're having. Yes. Yeah. Which is a big deal for a, a children's writer. You want to get the sense that they're really enjoying what they're doing. The fact that he's not condescending is an interesting observation, because he is constantly observing Bilbo Baggins and observing, not in like a moralistic or a <clears throat> condescending way, but saying... You know, poor Bilbo didn't quite know what to do in this particular circumstance, or maybe mm-hmm. he could have done better here, but, you know, he was really scared, and you would be too. But it doesn't come across as condescending to you. All the and characters it's... are kind of beneath him and be- yeah. beneath us. They're all, like, a little bit more stupid or more proud more or more cartoonish. more cartoonish than we, uh, you know, Thorin's very self-important. Yeah, Even Gandalf has these moments where, you know, where he's telling about how he defeated the great goblin and Tolkien throws in there. Gandalf, to truth be told, never really minded recounting his own cleverness more than once. Yeah, well, so he can be con- he can be condescending in that sense to the characters in the story, but not be condescending to the listener, right? To the reader, and that's that's well, uh, that's the that's difference. part of how you are not condescending to the reader is you have these insights into the character of well of your characters, and you observe them with your reader in such a way that they're part of the joke or they're part of you know you expect them to see or understand that observation too like we all get that thorin's being a blowhard right now and he's going on and on and and yeah and so you just acknowledge it and you that what that does is that kind of thing does or can do if it's done well a signal to the reader that hey you and i are idiots here we understand what's going on yeah 
And then you can have a children's writer who actually messes that up by then condescending, being condescending towards you for having any sympathy towards those condescended characters in the first place. Right. (laughs) Do you have an example in mind? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah. He who shall not be named Mm because he got us into so much trouble Mm -hmm. the first time. Well, good example of what Tolkien does well would be E.B. White. Mm -hmm. E.B. White does that. In fact, The Hobbit reminded me a lot of E.B. White Mm and his writing style. And it's just that the pleasure, you can feel when a writer is taking pleasure in the story they're telling. I just listened to Some Jude the Obscure by Thomas Hardy. Mm-hmm. And man, was that guy condescending towards everybody. Right. And you just get, it's miserable listening to Hardy. It's miserable reading Hardy. That was what we said about the Joyce in uh, yeah, exactly. Dubliners. It's like, he hates all these people. He hates Ireland. So then you take some, they're all stupid. So then you take somebody like that who not only hates the story he's telling, but also the people who would want to read it in the first place. Mm-hmm. You get a pretty miserable writer. Right. <laughs> So as far as children's writers go, I would say probably Lemony Snicket comes across that way some, mm-hmm. which makes him really, even though he's fun, you only want to take him in doses. Yeah. Because he kind of feels like, you know, children are ridiculous. The world's ridiculous. Why am I doing this in the first? Right. And you're like, okay, why are you? Yeah, your story's kind of fun, but why are you? Well, Lemony Snicket to me, and I, I uh, disclaimer, I haven't read a lot of Lemony Snicket, I've but what I have, it's, pages. It's, it feels just slightly almost flattering. Like you and I both get how stupid people are yeah. and how so it's Twain. Yeah, exactly. It's that same kind of if thing. You, if you happen to be reading me, you must get it like I do. Then we understand that the world sucks and that people die. Let me stick it kind of has that dark thing going, you know, like yeah. we understand that kids don't generally, you know, that life is in fact a series of unfortunate events. And I think there's, that can be fun, but too much of it. Yeah. Like you said, a large yeah. dose of it might not be good for the for certain kinds of kids, at least. Yeah, you'd want to be careful about it because, like it or not, what you read shapes what you like. Mm-hmm. So, especially when you're young. I guess the idea, the reason I'm lingering on the style, it's it's the same thing that gets us into trouble with Shakespeare. It's the exact same thing. I always want to ask this question, and sometimes it gets us somewhere, and sometimes we just get stuck, and we just have to say it's magic. But Tolkien, to me, I would put him with like with the Mona Lisa, with Hamlet's soliloquy. It, it, it has that feeling that the greatest of art has of, of being completely inevitable. Like you cannot, you can imagine that and we were reading Trumpet of the Swan. If the swan's name was Bob instead of Lewis, that would be fine. But Bilbo Baggins' name was always going to be Bilbo Baggins. It's, it's like what people say about, you know, who, who was it? Da Vinci or somebody that said about sculpture. I just remove everything that's not the sculpture and then mm-hmm. I've got a great sculpture. The Hobbit has that kind of feeling, the feeling that yesterday or Hey Jude has of something that existed as some kind of platonic ideal and all Tolkien had to do was dig it up and reveal it to us. Yeah. It has that feeling of absolute inevitability. Inevitability. Yeah. For lack of a better word. Yeah. When you're trying to talk about something as big as style, Mm -hmm. like it's really difficult to teach students about style because what they... What often gets in the way of style is your own insecurities or your own wanting to be something you're not. And so it's that whole magic behind what voice is and all that. And I still, I mean, it's, it's really hard as a writer to figure that out, you know, because you'll, you'll be tempted to just want to mimic other writers or you'll be tempted to do all this other stuff that gets in the way of just this balance of, so, and without a doubt, he was influenced by other writers. Sure. Right? And he probably had other writers in mind and there were probably parts where he was writing with some writer like William Morris or somebody like that in mind or some other writer that he enjoyed but in the end, that couldn't get in the way of him just telling the story. It's difficult to learn, and then it's difficult to do, and it's difficult to, to describe. Mm-hmm. Other than that, once a writer's found that pace and knows how to do it, you can tell mm-hmm. while they're doing it. Yeah. 
I mean, it's kind of what it's, that's kind of what it comes down to is it's, it is a little bit of magic and it is a little bit like, uh, what's the, is it the Heisenberg principle or something that what, when you observe, when you observe, you observe a phenomenon changes it, Mm -hmm. observing a phenomenon changes that phenomenon. Well, I forget what principle that is, but let's just say for the sake of argument that it's the Heisenberg. Okay. We'll just say that. So when you try to slow style down and observe it, you can say, oh, these sentences are well-written. His descriptions are vivid. And you can, well, Rowling does that as well. So what, well, he doesn't use stereotypes. He doesn't, but he does sometimes, right? I mean, because by some curious chance one morning long ago in the quiet of the world, when there was less noise and more green and the hobbits were still numerous and prosperous. I mean, there's some cliche going on there, Mm -hmm. but it's because of the way he's using it that it's not bad. Yeah. He knows how to strike that balance between exoticism and homey. And it's because right there, he's being a little tongue in cheek and he's being a little he wants you to have that like you said homey feeling and Mm -hmm. cliches and stereotypes do that it's so it's the artist knowing when to use those things and when to lean on them yeah that's another thing that high school not to make this into a style podcast again but it's going that way (laughs) (laughs) now we're gonna get out of it don't worry this is important stuff high school will sometimes teach kids to avoid all cliches and it's like no you just need to know how to and when to yeah use a cliche in fact go ahead I don't mind the avoid all cliches rule for high school students, though, because it is at a certain point that's different to me than the yes use an adverb and adjective in every sentence. I agree. The no cliches rule is a is a is a rule that you need to know when to break. Yeah, and you need to know it first, and you need to know it first. It needs to be in you deep yeah. down before you can know when to pull out the cliche and and use it well. Right, but I think great writers who have arrived, if I may speak that way finally get to a place where they actually intentionally use quite a few cliches sure. because they there's blocks of their writing that they don't want to draw attention, attention to. to. Absolutely. Yeah. Like this just needs to go down as smoothly as possible. Absolutely. Think about it. Well, and it's why, you know, so many of the high school rules are just backwards, mm-hmm. right? Like the rule should be use no adverbs at all, period, whatsoever. And then once you learn how to write, then you'll know when and how to use an adverb. Yep. But they make it the exact opposite of that. Like You need as many adverbs as you can possibly cram into this sentence, because yeah. otherwise you're not going to be interesting to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, we can get off of style, but Let's I don't know. Take the, the cheeseburger and just dump as much ketchup and yeah. mustard on it. Yeah, it has well, yeah, nothing to do I with the quality possible. of the beef. I think that's what, so what it comes down to is. You've not mm. tasted the food, but douse it with salt and pepper and Tabasco and. Yeah. Well, it's a fundamental fearfulness that I think <laughs> s- teachers can, in fact, inculcate, which is actually you can't write. Actually, you don't know how to do it. And therefore, so, you need this bag actually, of props and tricks. Actually, you're going to be stuck with bad beef your whole life. Probably yeah. most of us have bad beef. So let's learn how to slather ketchup and mayo on there. Yeah. And a, lar- a large part of the problem also comes with I think that if a student wants to learn how to write, they need to read a lot. They mm-hmm. need to read a lot of writers who do it well. Because I was trained as a classical pianist. And so one of the things my professor did is he would make me do my scales over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he would make me do octaves descending the piano. And then he would turn the lights off and make me do it. Until I mastered where every key was on the piano and could just press it without looking, I would never be able to perform poetry on the piano. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I had to master the basics before. And so that's what, when a teacher's Gotta forcing you- Gotta get the grammar down. Yeah. So when mm-hmm. a teacher's forcing you to learn how to punctuate and how to just write a sentence that's not messy, that's because they're trying to make you do your scales. And eventually once you master that and it just flows and you can start using the other things and you can start 
once the rhythms of language are natural to you, then it'll just come to you and all of a sudden you'll have a voice like Tolkien has where part of the magic is he probably really wasn't thinking about it too much. No. Well, and this is one of the, all right, I'm going to keep us here for just a little bit longer. My, my oldest son has just started some poetry unit or I don't know what oh, yeah. at school. And he was told to write a poem. That's it. That's all he was told. Write a poem. It can't be prose. Write a poem. So I'm like asking him, like, what kind of poem did they ask you to write? And he said, just, just a poem. It's just that it's got to be different than prose. It's like, it's like a limerick or like a, a sonnet. Do you know anything about forms of poetry? He's like, no. Talk about that? No. Just write a poem. Peter, go hunt an animal. We're not going to tell you what weapons to use. We're not going to tell you how guns <laughs> work, how bows work, how knives work, but also, which animals are in season, which animals you can kill or can't kill. But also, Just bring back. To make it worse, the arrowheads and everything that will make the arrows actually work, they take away from you by telling you you can't use meter or rhyme. Well, yeah. It's like, so he's going to- I think it's he, rhyme especially. But. He's going to do this blank verse thing. Yeah. Right? Like, because he has no idea. And it's like- Okay, let's that do is the, the hardest thing. Hardest thing possible yeah, right. in all of writing is blank verse poetry. Like I don't know that there's a single form of yeah. writing more difficult than blank that's verse what, poetry, mm-hmm. and that's what they started him with it's at 11 years stupid. old. And I wanted to shoot myself. Every mm-hmm. bad poetry teacher thinks that free verse is the easiest thing, but free verse was revolutionary for a reason <laughs> because yeah. it was a response to years and years and years of poetry that was very formal and rigorous. And so when you look at something like Walt Whitman, he was very intelligently responding mm-hmm. to all that other stuff. And so there's a lot of poetry to what Walt Whitman's doing that presupposes a knowledge of all the field of poetry. Right. And so it's just absolutely bananas. And most free yeah. verse these days is bad. All if, free verse these days are if bad. If I may be so bold. I think maybe yeah. the only great free verse writer to ever have lived was Walt Whitman in a couple of places. And all the rest of his stuff is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think Every Walt Whitman's all that good. Every poem in the New Yorkers. Oh yeah, man, I terrible. hate the New Yorkers poetry. Uh, the Learned Astronomer by Walt Whitman's pretty great. So I was hoping that you would talk to him because I told him to talk to you. I told him. Well, once you mentioned that, I realized I never responded to your text. Yeah, I know you did. Sorry, I'm a failure. That's okay. <laughs> I'll respond. But you did tell him to read Possum's book of Practical Cats. Yeah, and I gave him a couple other. I told him to get some Ogden Nash. Yeah, he really couldn't fun. remember that name. So Ogden Nash, and then I also told him Richard Wilbur's book of Opposites. Okay. So get those for him. And then, uh, then he writes this thing, and I read it, and I'm like, hey, kid, you've got some- not bad. You've got some, there's not nothing here to work with, yeah. but you need somebody to actually teach you poetry. <laughs> you imagine if kids from that age were actually taught poetry, like how to actually write. Oh man, it would change the world. Heck. I think it's not too, not too grandiose to say it would change the world. Well, speaking of poetry, you know who really likes to write poetry <laughs> is old J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Those are definitely the best. Po- I'm glad, Nathan. Is this going to be the poetry in the Hobbit episode? Yeah. <laughs> well- we we might as well rip this band-aid off right now. What do you think of what do you guys think about J.R.R. Tolkien's poetry? Uh you know, it's better than lots of other poetry that makes it into children's books. I would say if I'll I go as far as uh, say that. I'll go as far as to say I, I think it's better than Chesterton and Lewis, if you want to. Yeah, I was gonna this. say that. The only person that I can think of that immediately pops to mind that does poetry in children's literature better is and I lost his name, Jungle Book. Oh, Kipling. Kipling, Kipling. Kipling was actually a pretty decent poet. Yeah. yeah, his his poetry was pretty good. I would say that as far as The Hobbit goes. Or or Milne. Milne's just straight up Milne's great. poetry for kids is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I actually think Milne's poetry is maybe better than his prose. I would say I that. Said I think yeah. it is. Yeah. But um, I think that what saves The Hobbit's poetry is that this is a, a, 
a light, a more lighthearted story. Yes. Yeah. It, and then it's a children's story. And so the poetry in this book doesn't come across as silly as it does when you get into the Lord of the Rings and have to take things like the lay of Baron and Luthien. When seriously. the characters in Lord of the Rings right. are talking about how awesome the poetry is, and then Tolkien's poetry has to bear that weight, it's not so great. When it's just well, the elves making fun of Bilbo or something like that. But yeah. even even in the Lord of the Rings, he has an out because he can. He's always like, "Well, this is a rough this is a crappy translation of the elves. It's, <laughs> it's a cheap out. It's a cheap right. out. Yeah. The or Bilbo but he will still does recite it. a poem yeah. and then say, "Not very good, perhaps." And <laughs> the elves will be like, "Yeah." <laughs> but Bil- Bilbo's poetry is the best poet. Or uh, hey, I've seen the most. Uh, Frodo's, I've seen the most posters in head Sam's, shops Sam's with Sam's poetry. poetry. I think is the best. Yeah, Sam's, Sam's poetry is the, the best poetry. poetry. That's a sweet scene where Sam. Gives his palm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's super sweet. I think so. Uh, poor little guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't quite, it's not going to live up to it in the Lord of the Rings, but you know. It's the one place where I think Tolkien feels a little bit self-indulgent, if I may. Yes. And this does. episode is going to have lots of positive energy, folks, but it's like, we don't need nine verses of the Misty Mountains. Part we of need the reason. The two or three really good ones that tell that story. Actually, you know, part of the reason is because I think poetry is one of those arts that kind of flowered, began to really flower in the 18 and 1900s. Like mm. with Shakespeare, you had the sonnets and all that. So you had a, a life to that poetry, but some of the stuff that happened with modernism and making poetry more natural, and it sounds like W.H. Auden, mm-hmm. those guys, they added something to poetry that was missing. Yeah. Where poetry before then, a lot of poets would just be self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. And so trying to write a ballad and have people take it seriously is really hard work. Because it's meant to be sung. And so if you just write it out and expect people to be entertained reading your ballad, it's kind of going to read like a ballad and it's going to be kind of bad. Which is why Bob Dylan lyrics is, I mean, even though he was awarded the Nobel Prize in literature, try to read a Bob Dylan lyric without a song behind it. And it's not, it doesn't come off very well. I don't think it does. You put like even a crummy folk tune behind a Bob and have Bob Dylan sing it in his crappy voice and it, so there's a whole life to it. Yeah. Is this a good or a dumb place to talk about what? Jackson and company did with those things. I might as well. Well, I want to know what you guys think about the way that those songs <laughs> end up. Me and Meredith just watched The Hobbit Part One, An Unexpected Journey. Wonderful movie, full of burping dwarves and uh, <laughs> naked dwarves, actually. In the, what? Uh, I forget that they're naked. In the extended cut, oh. had a little cool. dwarf nudity, had to cover Meredith's eyes. Wow. Which one? Thorin? No, not Thorin. All the goofballs are like, oh. it's when they're in Rivendell, Elrond, the Elrond's little lackey is like, the wine cellars are almost used up, Lord Elrond, and they've battered the forks and dwarves are just, and Elrond's like, Ugh, and then they walk past the dwarves all na- nakedly bathing and it's hilarious. Is it hilarious? <laughs> I mean, it sounds hilarious. Somebody yeah. thought so. Some <laughs> test audience. <laughs> I love what Peter Jackson does with the poetry, actually. I love the Misty Mountain song. Yes. Yeah. The extended cut has a really... I can still I can, I can still hear the Misty Mountain song. I saw that movie once in theaters. I think it's great. I think that that's, that is the triumph of that movie, probably. And, I remember seeing that first scene, and that song in particular made me hopeful for the movie. Yeah. And the rest of it let me down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it, but, was, it was what they used in the trailer, and it yeah. was super It's hopeful. good. And I like it. Not it's not super memorable. I wouldn't buy the album, but they have this little chanty that they do for bend the knives and break the forks. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. That I, that's just fine. If you watch the extended cut of The Hobbit, which we'll see whether we end up making you guys do that, but the Goblin King actually has a song, a, a pretty fun song that he sings. Like a whole, I'm gonna crack your bones. I, I think it's the one that Tolkien had basically. Right. 
way down down in goblin town and then all the goblins like back him up and it's pretty cute um (laughs) so i i think i think it's an unmitigatedly good thing about at least that first peter jackson hobbit movie that's my opinion on the matter well i because i think it's what i was hint or suggesting there is that these don't work so well without music Mm -hmm. and you get people like i think tolkien and lewis and all those guys they were coming off that and Maybe it's part of our cultural heritage. I don't know that we can't take a ballad seriously without music. Mm-hmm. That we can't just sit and listen to it. Or do you sing it when you? Read I try it to. to your kids? I, I try to do a little bit of a tune, yeah. Because like even Wordsworth comes off a little silly. Oh, I think Wordsworth often comes off silly. If I'm and, being honest, but at that time he would have been seen as not silly. Someone you wouldn't laugh at. Even the great other serious poets at that time would have taken him very seriously. It's just like. There's a style of poetry that seems like it just needs music. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad. I mean, that's where song comes from. But Well, and also, and we'll get right back to the positive energy, folks, but I just feel like there's something a little bit old fogey-ish about both Lewis and Tolkien doing poetry the way that they sometimes do. Because it's like, we've got T.S. Eliot, like, breaking new ground. And, you know, I don't like everything that modernists give, gave me. But like Brandon was talking about, we've got people doing incredible things to bring a naturalism and a modernism to poetry. And then those guys are like, we're going to do old medieval. And I get that that fits the world. You know, I'm I'm not a dummy folks. Yates has a pretty good essay on this where he was talking about how he never could write lyrics because in his poetry, there's always like for poets like him, there's a, there's an internal poetry Mm -hmm. and internal music to the poem that once you try to put it to music, it loses. And he says he has respect for People that write lyrics like that, he was. it was actually an essay he was writing on the Psalter because mm-hmm. he was trying to do something with the Psalter. And then he was like, he respects that, but he just can't, he can't do it because his the poetry he writes is a different sort of creature. All right. I think we just got to go through The Hobbit, guys. So, okay. let's do it. Chapter one. Yeah. An unexpected party. Sure is unexpected. Well, here's my first question. What do you guys think about Bilbo Baggins as a hero? I think he's great. I mean, he's kind of interesting in that is he a hero or is he just a guy that is kind of plucky and, but basically just lucks out a whole bunch and gets a magic ring? And like, is this actually in the Campbell, Joseph Campbell mold here? Or is this just like some goofball who ha- is well regarded because he happened to not die on his adventures? Well, it's very m- much follows the hero's journey pattern. But I mean, you've got the reluctant hero who doesn't want to leave and has to literally get across the threshold but it's like if neo was played by john goodman and he never learned kung fu he just fell on agent smith and crushed him (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but okay he's not your traditional hero he's not your greek god or he's not your beowulf or your arthur or whatever but he's the hero that we could all hope to be maybe Mm -hmm. us us normal folk who don't feel particularly special or particularly that we really bring all that much to the table. I wonder if that's not the key to the success of the entire yeah bo- books, actually, of both books. Yeah. Is every man is a hero. Yeah, it's, you know, both Frodo and Bilbo really are just like, they're just like you and me. They're just normal people who, they might have some, like, romantic idea of adventure. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes knocking, they're not really sure that they want it. Yeah. And I think the, a lot of us would actually be that way. We read a lot and we watch, you know, Marvel movies and whatever. And we romanticize the idea of heroism and being Captain America or Iron Man or, 
you know, whatever it is, but then adventure comes and then, well, it's, it's hard to take that first step out the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the lessons that these guys go through is whether it's Frodo or Bilbo is just like, Hey, you know, actually they just got a, a little person in a wide world can make a difference if he just is willing to take that first step and then keep trying to do what's right as best as he can. And he's going to screw up and learn lessons along the way, but He's going to find a magic ring that's going to solve all his problems and Gandalf's <laughs> going to save him. And it feels a little bit like White Hobbit privilege <laughs> to me, Jake. <laughs> if it is Campbell's journey, then it is just like, eh, well, you deserve to have everything go your way. You know, Obi-Wan saved him and distracted Vader and told But him Luke to Skywalker at a certain point had to transition into being Beowulf. For a guy who loved Beowulf and saved Beowulf like Tolkien did, he doesn't seem to actually put a lot of stock well, in Beowulf as a hero. I think that's because... Well, he a... does, but he just makes them the side characters in the story, which I think yeah. is a fun idea. Aragorn is very much Beowulf. That's yes. true. And Gandalf is not not Beowulf, you know? He definitely has more heroic qualities to him in that traditional sense. I also think it's important to remember that he was influenced a lot by fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And so this has a lot of the, like, the Jack fairy tale flavor to it. Here you have a character who's going to be thrown into these situations where by their pluck and wit, they win. Mm-hmm. And it's not by any particular strength or her- traditional heroic um, aspects. And so with Bilbo, he's going to outwit Gollum. He's going to outwit the spiders. He outwits right? Smaug. And then he's going to outwit Smaug. It's like it's a fa- he's a fairy tale hero. Mm. Yeah. Except there's some psychological realism to this fairy tale hero. Which is really he has great. all kinds of self-doubt. He has all kinds of fears and anxieties, <clears throat> just like anybody would. A longing to, I wish I had never set my foot out that door, but yeah. where would this whole adventure be? What would this whole journey be like? Every time Bilbo has that thought, you as a reader think, yeah, they'd all be dead right now, mm-hmm. actually, Bilbo. Yeah. So you're going to get all your Jungian Campbellism in, uh, that you want in The Lord of the Rings. Right. Right. So that's going to be all over the place there. But I think what this book also shows, and a book's... So we're about to do The Trumpet of the Swan, which mm-hmm. is, a, it's a weird book. Books like that, they show the limitations also of that sort of Jungian Campbellism. Mm-hmm. Not every single story has to follow that format. Right. That sometimes it can just be an everyman who really has nothing he's going to change into or become by the end, except a hobbit who's glad he's home. Yeah, he's, he, changes. he changes. Yeah, he but it's not, it's not like the and... huge arc where he has to descend. No, it's not, Frodo yeah. doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to go and. But even then, he does go. The Haven's Gray. He yeah. do, does go into the depths. Where he meets Gollum. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some oh, of the traditional uh, story it's arcs. It's all yeah. there. It's all if there. If you want to like lay out Campbell, yeah, right. it's there. But so. it's, every it's, element is there, and he 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 definitely has. Though I think you're right to point out his own very Tolkien Tolkienish Tolkien. I think it's a fairy tale yeah. spin on it. It's like let's take the Campbellism and combine it with like the traditional, very simple mm-hmm. fairy tale narrative, and see what happens. But even in a fairy tale, it feels to me like. Jack's going <clears> to <throat> just, just out with the giant or the prince is going to just kill the dragon. Bilbo, yeah. it's like 80% of the time he gets lucky. Well, I'm trying he to gets stronger, the... but his his movements are more subtle. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he doesn't, his growth isn't this complete change from weakling to hero. It's just, he becomes a slightly better Bilbo. But he does do the heroic thing at the end. Right. And so part of, I think, what Tolkien plays with is... All of these things that are almost accidents that build Bilbo up in the eyes of the dwarves. Bilbo doesn't buy it. 
Right. Right. Like Bilbo feels like it was an accident. Yeah. But but at the end of the book, Bilbo is going to have watched uh, the dwarves make their own change. He's going to watch Bard. He's going to see the all these things sort of happen, and he's going to decide to take the Arkenstone and broker for peace. <clears throat> right. And that's like a lot of guts for little Bilbo. He takes the Arkenstone. Then he goes back and then he tells Thorin that that's what he did. And that's a big step for Bilbo. Yeah. Dragons. And it's a, maybe it's not even recognizable because we're so used to that step being a heroic act of violence or something like that. It's, it's a moral thing. Well, and I think, yeah. And I think that that's part of, again, what Tolkien's playing with, with the idea even of the hero's journey is Bilbo's courage is going to be that he's going to seek peace mm-hmm. and he's going to Bilbo's sacrifice is he's going to give up his share of the treasure. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, and that, that may be like a hippie kind of anti-war thing. We, we may look at it that way. And I know I'm sure a lot of people have. It's one of the reasons why these books, these, the, the Lord of the Rings, but I don't know if we've said this on mic yet, but I just think it's funny. The two groups that the Lord of the Rings books really resonate with are the most crusty conservative people and the most obnoxious tree hugging liberal anti-war those are the two groups and they both love tolkien and i can't say that i look down on either group for owning it i I don't think that the liberals are completely misreading it no i don't think they are i think that tolkien very much he he i'm sure he was asked and i'm sure that he said garbage that this book is some kind of anti-war book Mm -hmm. but at the same time you mean he said he said it was garbage garbage yeah but still I mean, I know, and I was going to talk more about this on the Lord of the Rings context, but he he was horrified when the flower children co-opted, kind of co-opted the, his book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not it's pretty funny. That. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not surprising at all. But at the same time, there's a lot there for them to co-op, dude. Like, yeah, no, it's it's definitely. I mean, with the trees, let's the just not and, forget the fact that what Bilbo managed to do was get everybody at some kind of uneasy peace before the wargs and the. Mm-hmm. Orcs showed up, and yeah. then they could unite yeah. and sing and slay their way to victory. Mm-hmm. Except for Thorin. <laughs> Poor Thorin. Yep. <laughs> well, Poor Thorin. My kids cried. Yeah. That's interesting. What would you guys think about Thorin? I always forget, because the movies kind of make him into a traditional square-jawed action character. He's not much of a likable character in this thing. Yeah. He really a... is just an officious, proud, greedy dwarf. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he's the only one who won't thank Bilbo when they first show up or whatever yeah yeah mm-hmm. and even in the end I mean he not in the end he get. I mean he's a nice speech a deathbed his speech, speech. Is that's true sweet. his speech is nice but that's the one thing that he gets like he, he does repent but it's not like he's growing towards that repentance the whole time I think maybe he respects Bilbo a little bit more after Bilbo's got him out of some jams but maybe it's really hard to tell Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. It's, kind of, it's kind of a... I mean, they get all the way to the Lonely Mountain, and then Thorin's like, well, Mr. Thief, you be the first down the... Yeah, it feels kind of uh <laughs> After Jerkish. Bilbo solves the riddle and... Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say about the way that Bilbo, is, the character of Bilbo is designed. Because so much of it is luck, and so much of it is Gandalf saving their skin, and so much of it is not Bilbo being awesome. Those few moments where he just steps up, like when he kills the spider... And certainly the Arkenstone being the big example. But even just once he starts to be able to do things like help them with the barrels and stuff, it feels much more earned than like, I mean, the obvious comparison for me would be Harry Potter. Like Harry Potter 
JK Rowling really can't help but flatter her readers and say, Harry, you're Harry's the best. Just, you know, if authority figures are telling Harry that he's wrong, that's because they're wrong. And it's because the authority figures in your life are wrong. Not to make too much of a point of it, but even an authority figure like Dumbledore. Right. Harry's, and we've said this many times, but Harry's always right. And you as the reader who's, you know, Harry's your surrogate, you're always right. Whereas Bilbo, he just kind of blunders along, but it actually has the effect of when, as he grows subtly, and as he's able to do things, you really feel it. You really, yeah. I think part of the fun of the book, part of the reason the book has lasted is because Bilbo's hero's journey, unlike many heroes' journeys, is really, it's low key, but it's also very, for that reason, very, very credible. Yeah. And mm-hmm. something that you can really enjoy as a kid. Like, well, I could probably maybe do 10% of things right, like Bilbo. Yeah. I'm, I'm never going to be a Jedi master like Luke or you know, be the next king like Aragorn, but maybe I could get lucky and God could bless me and Providence could kind of weirdly be on my side. And And I sure do know how it feels when I'm the little kid that gets drug along on the, on the man trip. Right. That half the people don't want me to be on because I'm going to be in the way. Right. And I sure do know how it feels when I'm there in that position and I feel so tenuous and I screw things up. Right. And I'm going to be the one that's going to do that. Say, I forgot my hanger. You know, I'm going to say, I need to go to the bathroom and the exactly. dad's going to be mad. Like, no, yep. we can't stop to go to the bathroom right now. Like Bobo does things like that, Absolutely. that are very easy to enter into as a kid. And then he, he actually helps. He actually helps. Yeah. And part of it's because he gets lucky. And even that feels pretty good. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I could be, get lucky. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could, yes, get us all killed by trolls, but then sort of play for time until dad shows up and saves the day. Um, is there anything else worth saying about the dwarves as characters? What I think is interesting is that there's 13 of them and they're not really, there's nothing to them. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's unintuitive. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't think to write a book like that. If you heard that there was a story about a hobbit and 13 dwarves, you'd think that the dwarves would be distinct, be distinct, or that at least that there'd be some representative dwarves that would be, you know, Bilbo's friend and, or his antagonist or, or something like that. But there's really not a lot to the dwarves. Why did Tolkien go that direction? And there's a really fat one that they have to carry. There's yeah. a fat one that they have to carry. Other than some physical differences, there aren't really distinguished. And, and their names, they have cute, like memorable. Feely and Killy. And yeah. They're not really Bomber distinguishable as characters. And Balin and Dwalin. And yeah. Yeah. I think it's because he was influenced by Disney. Yeah, probably. His favorite. Yeah. His favorite thing. What was he thinking, guys? Why did he do that? Why not? If you're not going to write characters for them, why not have two? Why not well, just have Thor and Gandalf? And since there has to be a party big enough to be credibly trying to take on a dragon. Yeah, I guess. Is that the answer? I mean, I think that's part of the answer. Yeah. They have to seem like they're actually Thorin's army that's going to go out with him, or at least his party that's going to go try to get this dragon. And other than that, he didn't really need them to be distinguishable characters. Should he have? Does the book work in spite of that? Or yeah, I think the book works just fine despite of that. Uh, Is it a feature though, or a a bug? Very minor bug. I wonder if it's not a feature. Let's let's pre- let's say it is a feature. Let's make an argument for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm wondering what the argument for it would be. If you're going to argue that it's a feature, it's a party that's big enough to make Bilbo feel insignificant mm-hmm. and to distinguish him and have him stand out from it. It's a party that's nameless enough that it doesn't like if everybody was interesting, then Bilbo wouldn't be so interesting. Right. Interesting. And 13's a fun number. Yeah. Nice that he's 14. Yeah. The lucky number. Yeah. And I guess as I think about it, I'm thinking the dwarves do have 
it's like they all speak with Tolkien's voice, which gives them a pretty distinctive flavor and character. You know, Bilbo asks them where dinner is and they say mostly inside us. They actually seem distinctive enough that you are left with residual affection for them. And when they show, you know, like when we see Balan's tomb and Lord of the Rings, things like that, you actually do feel something. So yeah, somehow or another, he sort of, he does enough with the dwarves without. Well, I think it's because he makes anything. you have affection for the dwarves in general. Right. But yeah, other than that, I don't think that. So like you, like you said, they had a few characteristics that set him apart, but mm. really in the end, he didn't need each one to be an identifiable character. He wasn't writing a huge epic like that. He needed them to serve their purpose. Thorin and Gandalf and Bilbo needed to be the clearly drawn figures mm-hmm. yeah. for the purposes of the story he was telling. So I think any more window dressings of them would have gotten in the way. Yeah. What about Gandalf? Is Gandalf the greatest wizard of all time in literature, movies, pretty much. All, all across the spectrum of wizards? Is I, Gandalf the best? Pretty much. Does anyone want to argue for another wizard over uh, Gandalf? No. Merlin. Merlin. Merlin's a lot less safe feeling than Gandalf, which has its own charm. And its own charm. And Gandalf doesn't feel safe. Gandalf feels right. pretty exotic and mysterious and harsh and tricky. And the kind of guy that's just going to walk off because he has better business than to hang out with the company of Th- Thorin. Do we count space wizards with with well, laser swords? Do you want to put one up against Gandalf? Because I'm still not sure you're going to name one that's going to be able to beat him. Darth Vader. Darth Vader's a good space wizard, but... Palpatine, the emperor. Palpatine's another good... I mean, Palpatine might win in a fight, if that's the question. <laughs> Who do you think would win in a fight between Palpatine and Gandalf? Is he going to make him like do uh, Gandalf break dancing in the middle of the tower? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. Hope so. <laughs> you have elected the way of pain. Do, 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 staying alive. Stayin He's trying alive. to come up with anybody that could compare with Gandalf. <sighs> Dumbledore. <laughs> Boo. Yeah, no, he, nobody from the Potterverse can touch Gandalf. Lord Voldemort. Nope. Can't touch Gandalf. Can't touch this. I don't think so, so... I mean, just in terms of, like, legend and lore, Merlin's your best bet. But no. I still don't think, even in the depictions of him, like, even in Lamort Darthur, I don't think he really... He's For one thing, he's just not ever fleshed out in yeah. almost anything. You know what? I think that we're going to have to decide this. The Great Wizard Off. I think that we're going to have to read all oh, the Arthur Are we announcing stuff. this? I think we might as well. Yeah, why not? We did a poll, folks, to see what you wanted our next Patreon thing to be, and you answered in resounding numbers and said, two of you yeah all two of you said that no, i'm was, joking there was a lot more than yeah, that yeah. you said that you'd like us to do arthur stuff <laughs> whatever that's called the arthur arthuriad you want us to read arthur you want stuff. us to read arthur stuff so get us to 1500 and we will do i don't have a whole list all figured out right now but we will definitely do i can give a more rough, arthur yeah Go ahead, give us a rough. We would have to do some of the Mabignogian. Mm-hmm. We would have to do some of the Chrétien de Troyes, mm-hmm. who one of our patrons kindly gifted to me at, at Christmas. Yeah, it was very nice. Well, we have to do some Waste and Laman, get some of those just general tales and maybe even some of the anonymous stuff in mm-hmm. there as well. But then the big things we'll have to do eventually will be uh, Lamort Darthur. Mm-hmm. Mallory. Yeah. And then we'll also have to do <laughs> Tennyson. Yeah, I'm not excited about that, but. That's yes, we will have to do that. I think we have to, right? Yes. And I think we have to do what's that guy's name? The more modern guy. T. E. White. T. E. White, once in Future King, which I don't like, but I think we have to do it. Yeah. Because it's interesting. It's kind of a meta post post modern take on Arthur. But The Sword in the Stone is a fun as a Disney movie that I have a lot of affection for and it's based on that. 
I think those are the big ones that we'll have to do. Yeah, and then Mallory. Maybe, maybe we'd even do whatever that modern thing is that people like. Whitehead, I think the guy's name is. Yeah. Stephen, Stephen Lawhead, Stephen Whitehead, something like that. But Mallory would be the big thing, I think. Yeah, and I'm excited about doing Mallory. We've wanted an excuse to do Mallory now for... I guess we could technically reread uh, The Hideous Strength. Yeah, we it's could. A, it's an Arthurian story. Hey. We could watch a whole lot of weird movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, that great classic of cinema. <sighs> Excalibur, that great classic of cinema. <laughs> Let's not watch that one. Yeah, we probably can't do that one on a Christian podcast. What's the one with Richard Gere? That's Excalibur. No, no, no. That's First Night. Yeah. Oh, First Night. With yeah. Sean Connery. Yeah. Excalibur has... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Excalibur is interesting. I'd have to... Pretty sure it's got some naked ladies in it. So it, that might That's what I was thinking. But then I was also thinking that it was First Night. Anyhow. Anyhow, yeah. Get us to 1500 and we will do some Arthur. Yep. And then we'll have a battle of the wizards and determine once nice. and for all who is the greatest wizard of them all. But I want to say that Gandalf is my horse in that fight, probably. I, I Actually, what I want to say, I know we can't solve this problem right now, but if we were ever to have a mentor off, Gandalf might win the mentor off. I think I might be prepared to say Gandalf is the gr- not just the greatest wizard, but the greatest mentor. mentor. The greatest wise man. So he beat the fox? In all of literature? Who fought? What fox? The fox, remember, from Till We Have Faces. He's right up there with the fox. It's probably fox number one. Yeah. And then Gandalf number two. I mean, can you guys name a better kind of father, wizard, mentor figure off the top of your heads hmm. than Gandalf? Drawn more clearly with more of a specific personality. The dad from Something Wicked This Way Comes. Nope. Pierre, he- the epilogue of War and Peace. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm just going to say joke. no to whatever you say. <laughs> oh, man. Who? Who could it be? Jim from Huckleberry, Huckleberry Finn. Finn. Huckleberry yeah. Finn. And he's more of a magical, you know what? A Chinese servant from Lee. Yeah. Lee, yeah. Lee's good, but I want to say Gandalf might be the best mentor of all time. He's equal parts powerful and scary and the kind of guy that can really put you in your place and tell you you should throw yourself down the hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. Yeah. Well, he's my favorite. I, I whatever the trope is called, he's my favorite example of the trope of before he's Gandalf the White. I, I, I should specify. I'm really talking about Gandalf the Gray here. Not so fond of Gandalf the White. I like Gandalf. The Gandalf the White, a little bit of a drag, a little bit of oh, a prude. I'm so good now. Yeah, I can't ex- be grumpy anymore. I can't be grumpy and fun. <laughs> but grumpy. Old man Gandalf that none of the hobbits realize to take him seriously. They just think he's some goofball that some old eccentric that does fireworks. That is such a cool trope. I just, I just love the idea. I like hidden, hidden power in any kind of fairy tale. The idea that this guy can go toe to toe with a Balrog. He's like an angelic being. He's like, you have no idea who you're messing with when you mess with He got a hold of that ring. Sauron would tremble. Right. Like he's one of the most powerful beings in Middle Earth and he doesn't feel the need to show that off or explain that to anybody. He's friends with hobbits. He wants Bilbo on the journey for some ridiculous reason. Because he likes hobbits to yeah. make him laugh. <laughs> Peter Jackson thinks it's because he just likes to smoke pot. Uh, <laughs> the halfling's leaf has dulled your senses. <laughs> oh, man. oh, good old Peter Jackson. But I just think Gandalf's the best. I just... that. I have no interesting question to ask you guys. I just want to gush about this for a second and you guys can jump in if you have any gushing to add, but that, that dialogue, when he comes up the good morning thing, what a lot of things you use for good morning, 
That's got to be one of my favorite dialogue scenes in all of literature. All Bilbo does is try to say good morning, and then Gandalf is like, what do you mean? He's got five different ways that good morning can be used, and it doesn't feel like a cheap trick. It just feels like, Because he's not a conjurer of cheap tricks, Nathan. I mean, it has some of that sense of like a tutor or an instructor or a teacher who is going to catch you, you know, catch you in your words, make you... Some Socrates. Going yeah, on a there. little bit of the Socratic. Kind yeah, of... Socrates. There you go. Yeah. Oh, you what think about, Socrates is better? Socrates? No, Socrates. I think Gandalf would win in a fight. <laughs> I would. I would trust being in a public bathhouse more with Gandalf than Socrates. Me too. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I think if they're both on a bridge and Socrates isn't allowed to pass, Gandalf just knock him off with his staff and <laughs> Socrates would be staring in there trying to figure out the form of water, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> Gandalf <laughs> just kick him. <laughs> I like Gandalf. I and I seriously defy you guys to name a better wizard or mentor in all of film, literature, and all that from the beginning of time, excluding wow. anything from the Bible. Okay, of I, was sort of, I was about to go to the Bible. I thought somebody might, <laughs> but Yoda doesn't hold a candlestick. Gandalf will actually occasionally say something wise, whereas Yoda, we just have to go along with it being wise because we like Star Wars. Evangelist from Pilgrim's Progress. Brandon, I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> Probably better clap that out. Actually. <laughs> I'm not going to clap that out either. <laughs> I like Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure we'll do it one day, but Gandalf is a much cooler it's character. It's a different category yeah, of literature anyways. So come at me, bro. And, yeah, n- neither of us even said we could. <laughs> <laughs> you guys obviously think Gandalf sucks. <laughs> not, all, not getting a lot of positive Gandalf energy here. Minerva McGonagall. Nope. Snape. Am I alone in my Gandalf love, guys? No, I Mr. think we agree Tumnus. with you. But you really want to say, Professor, whatever his name is. Professor Diggory? Yeah, Professor Diggory. Oh, boo. All right, folks. I promised you positive energy. Jake and Brandon, clearly <laughs> not big fans of Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, clearly not. But that's okay. I am doing my best to uphold the positive energy. Not everybody can be as big a fan as you, Nathan. I'm not going to let Jake and Brandon pass with their hatred of the world's greatest mentor and wizard character in all of literature. I just despise him. You got me, Nathan. Yeah. You got me. Finally, you outed me. Yep. (laughs) That's been the whole reason behind this podcast. You guys have to get to this point. Yep. Podcast should have been called A Knife in the Dark. Yep. Probably could let everybody know that the entire podcast, you've just been dressing like Gandalf every time we meet. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I've been growing out my beard, setting off fireworks. (laughs) You bleach it. (laughs) Basically, I've just been growing out my beard and setting off fireworks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You'd be mistaken for thinking that Nathan is a homeless man or <laughs> bad Santa Claus impersonator. Right. I also sold my house and am buying presents for all the children. <laughs> Guys, let's talk about the trolls. Since neither one of you has anything good to say about Gandalf, which I get, Gandalf sucks. That's what we've established on this podcast. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what we've said. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Guys, I, I, I... Gandalf is the best, Nathan. There you go. If I could take any... I've been racking my brain trying to come up with somebody who... Uh... This just came to me. What? <laughs> it's a weird observation. If I could take any literary character and take him out of that world and just have him have his own podcast, <laughs> I think Gandalf would be a contender. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting question. Yeah, I'd listen to Gandalf's podcast. Is there anybody that I'd rather listen to a podcast from than Gandalf? Sure. There probably is. Someone who's like famous for being a great talker. Wit. Yeah. Charming. Funny. Charming. Emma and Knightley's marriage podcast I might listen to. What other podcasts would I listen to from literature? I would not listen to Levin's podcast. No. <laughs> no. 
or Pierre. And now we're talking about Russian politics. I don't know that I listen to anybody's podcast. <laughs> no, no Tolstoy, Tolstoy characters podcast. Characters. Yeah. Uh, maybe Huckleberry Finns. Huckleberry Finn. Adam Trask would be an interesting podcast, but I think Huckleberry Finn might be the winner. Like that guy's a great storyteller. He's funny. He's he's got a sharp, colorful personality. Huck and Jim. Huck and Jim's podcast. The Huck and Jim show. There you guys go. Man, the PC police would be all over that. But (laughs) cares would be awesome. I'd love to have the Huck and Jim show. I'm glad I got us on this rabbit trail, guys. Yep. Hey, that's a good Instagram question. We should remember that one. Yeah, guys, let's talk about chapter two. Roast mutton. Now, of course, I should say, in case anyone's a blithering moron, I think Brandon and Jake like Gandalf. I just think there's not a lot to say about how great he is because he's so great. Like, <clears throat> what are you supposed to say about him? True. I think. It's maybe. I don't know. If you ever meet Jake or Brandon, what you should do, go up to them. Don't introduce yourself to them. Don't look them in the eyes. They hate that. <laughs> just say very loudly, do you think Gandalf sucks? And then sucker punch us and say, do you think he sucks now? <laughs> and then run, <laughs> run like crazy. You better run. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon will fall on you. <laughs> Fun fact, if you expose Nathan to sunlight, he'll turn into stone. Fun fact about Brandon, the chapter roast button was named after him because it's his favorite food. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Roast he sits around with his buddies. <laughs> Mutton's actually Bert pretty healthy Tom. meat. <laughs> Jokes on you, Nathan. I've never eaten a whole sheep. Um, Anyway, speaking of trolls. The cotton's good for your digestion. Yeah. Whatever the wool. If there's one thing that we can take away from this podcast, (laughs) the cotton is good for for your digestion. (laughs) Because that's what sheep grow, right? (laughs) Sheep. Yeah. So here's my question about the trolls. Why do you think, given that this is, as Jake was pointing out, an arbitrary, basically arbitrary series of episodes that build on each other. Yeah. What logic do you think Tolkien put into... Did I point that out in this episode? I don't know. You, you should probably just say it again, because I'm not sure where you Yeah, and I, I don't know if people have jumped in and haven't listened to the right. other episode. Yeah. One of the things that I said before that I really love about this book, and what I think sort of helps distinguish it as great children's literature is how episodic each chapter is. So each chapter is just its own little short story, its own little adventure. It has its own little arc. And they all build on each other and they all get darker and darker and more dangerous as they go mm-hmm. to the place where Bilbo, you know, he has his first kill. He is able to, you know, and then we face down the dragon and all that stuff. So I just think that that's part of what makes it cool is it doesn't actually have to feel like it's it, or try to feel like it's the, this big epic adventure where they're not taking the ring to Mordor. They're going to the Lonely Mountain, but everything isn't about going to the Lonely Mountain. It's just like... Here's something that happened on the way. Here's something that happened on the way. Here's another thing that happened on the way. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. There's a way in which this book actually has more in common with the kind of interest that's aroused by a book like Little House on the Prairie or My Antonia or something like that, where it's just like, here's another chapter about a thing that happened. Yeah. Here's another chapter, and the interest is... And and it's uh, what even... Sorry, because all all roads lead to Star Wars around here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's even... The kind of thing that um, the Mandalorian yeah. is is playing with, right? The Mandalorian's got a quest. It's a bigger quest, but it gets lost in all of these like little episodes, these little you know side adventures. And well, and also, who cares whether the dwarves get their gold? The fate of Middle Earth doesn't hang in the balance. Right. The dwarves, Thorin's not particularly a nice or likable or relatable character. Like, and Bilbo doesn't. Yay, he'll get. He'll be richer than he already is. Like, there, it's. 
it's not a high stakes thing. It really is. Will they escape from this latest peril? And how mm-hmm. will Bilbo grow? Right. So having said all that, what logic or art or whatever do you think go went into, why start with the trolls? And in gen- maybe more generally speaking, why order these things the way, is, is there a rhyme well, or reason to it? I think one of the obvious reasons is the trolls introduce a sense of danger, but it's also funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a sense of danger that can have a level of humor to it. So you can start to get scared and realize the danger of this world that he's in. But also, you know, the, there's mucus and stuff involved as well. So, right. So it's, it's. Yeah. When you, what, what you really like or like in these types of stories is that by the time you get to the end, you can look back at that first adventure and be like, huh, we thought that was scary. Can you, can you guys yeah. believe? Mm-hmm. We thought that that was scary. Like we thought we were going to die in that situation. Like that's actually pretty funny now that we think yeah. about it. Right. And, and that's a good way to bring kids along in a story yeah. by just slowly escalating the sense of danger and the stakes. But it's also, uh, it's how we experience life, right? Every challenge that we face is something that we can build on to face a greater challenge. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, it's it's not a perfectly linear escalation in our lives. We have big challenges early and then smaller challenges and but all the challenges do add up to to shaping us for the bigger challenges of life. So it's, you know, even if you think of, yeah, I've got to grow up, I have to get an education, I have to get a job, I have to get married, I have to have a kid, I have to have another kid. And it has it like you said it has a similar sort of feeling of, wow, I can't believe there was a time in my life where I was worried about getting an A in right. geography. Yeah, you know, like when I was... These trolls are nothing compared to Smaug. Yeah, what, what I would always say to college students when I was our college pastor, what I still say to them is, you remember how in high school you thought you were really busy and mm-hmm. now you're in college, you think you're really busy now? You are not busy. You're so not busy. This is one of the least busy times of your lives. Yeah. What's going to happen is you're going to get out of here, you're going to get a job. You're going to think, man, I thought I was busy in college. I'm busy now. And then you get married and still have a job. And then you're going to be like, man, I thought I was, bi-. and then you're going to have a kid. And then you're going to think, man, I thought I was. And life's a progression of, man, I thought I was. And what you need to do is just get over all of this whole idea of, oh, I'm so busy and knuckle down and give yourself to the work of that's before you with your studies and of serving and building God's kingdom. Well, Tolkien because able, of the progression of the captures yeah. a progression like that with rests th- and things like that built in and with a narrative progression like we are going to send Bilbo in a Campbellian sense into the heart of the whale into the into the darkness with Gollum and have him emerge as kind of a new man. So there's there's peaks and valleys, but we're right. still always going towards greater danger, yep. scarier monsters. Yep. More complicated politics. It's only going to get harder until the Burton, Tom, and William do seem ridiculously prosaic compared to the stuff that he has to handle later on. Yeah. Do you, do you think that Tolkien's funny? Like when he wants to be, when he has these. Oh, yeah. He's hilarious these, when he do, wants to be. Do your kids respond to yep. slapstick yeah. trolls and mm-hmm. mucus and Cockney accents and all that good stuff? Uh, let's see. Chapter three. They get yeah. some su- cool swords. What were, you, what were you saying? Nothing. Nothing. I was just laughing at the trolls. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Live on mic, folks. Yeah. We caught Brandon laughing at Laughing the at the trolls, yeah. We get Glamdring yeah. and Orchrist. We sure do. What do you guys think cool about swords. those swords? 
some of the lore that you get to see with this world building that he has that will eventually become the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have these swords that are just Epic there. swords get names. Yeah, you get Glamdring. That'll carry over into the Lord of the Rings with whatever the sword's name is there. Sting? Narsil. Andrew. Oh, Narsil. Shards of Narsil. Yeah. Still shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard not to filter these things through those movies. Those movies. Yeah. Still shop. <laughs> and then they go to Rivendell. What do you guys think about Rivendell? I can tell you one person who feels like he just doesn't like elves, which is Mr. Peter Jackson. He thinks they're stuffed shirts, I think. If, I mean, they're cool fighters and they can slide on shields and stuff, but... They can fall in love with hobbit or dwarves. They can fall in love with dwarves. <laughs> yeah. And be very androgynous. And be very androgynous. But yeah, they're always portrayed as androgynous, stuffed shirt. The cool characters need to not even tell them what they're doing and make sure... <laughs> I don't know that I felt that way from Jackson. I just think he doesn't know how to... I think he didn't get elves. I don't think he really knows how to get some something that... He, he's going for his idea of angelic. Mm-hmm. And his and idea said, of jolly, angelic... Angelic is just impoverished, that's yeah. all. Angelic I think he, things I think, are boring, actually. Like uh-uh. I, don't, I don't feel the judgment of them as being boring. I think you can judge them as being boring to you. I don't know that I think that Jackson... I, I guess I'm judging his idea of them as being so anemic as to be boring. Mm-hmm. And it's like a kid trying to pretend to be Shakespeare and just thou Brandon are a rascal. You know, it just, it, he doesn't have a good. Did you try to be Shakespeare often as a child? All the time, all the time. That's <laughs> why it's the perfect analogy. Yeah. And we can probably stop podcasting altogether now because I finally achieved <laughs> the analogy that I've been looking for. There we go. That Goodbye, everyone people. relates to. It's done, guys. It's the inevitability of great art. We've, de- <laughs> we've declared the end of podcasting as you know it. Yep. Do you guys think I'll get a Nobel Peace Prize? For that not. metaphor? For yeah. That, or for this podcast? No, for, just for the metaphor. Just for the metaphor, yeah. <laughs> Brendan, I'm sorry to say I don't think I'm going to get one for the podcast. Oh, man, Nathan. There were certain elements that were holding it back. <laughs> but for that metaphor. Ow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey. From getting a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for that metaphor. <laughs> yes, you will, Nathan. Yeah. Definitely. I, I'd vote for you. I'm going to nominate you every year. Well, how did you guys feel about the elves in The Hobbit? Do you feel like they're the same elves as the elves in the other thing, The Lord nope. of the Rings? Not when you get to the weird... The elves of Mirkwood are creepy and mean. Yep, they're different elves. And you don't get those elves in The Lord of the Rings. No, you don't. But what about... Oh, the elves of Rivendell. To an extent. I mean, he's looking yeah. at moon runes and all that stuff. <laughs> so, right... Yeah, moon letters. Moon yeah. letters are rune letters, but you cannot see them, said Elrond. How's he described? To me, these elves feel more like fairy tale elves. They're they're a little bit more tricksy. Impish. Impish and sing-songy. Not than, stately and otherworldly. Yeah. I, I mean, guess, Lord of the Rings is where you're going to have more of that Beowulfian heroic the stuff. The Lady of Lore of... You know, Gl- La- yeah, the Lady of Lothlorien, Galadriel. All of that, like... People don't even know that that exists. It's, it's like Atlantis, you mm-hmm. know? It's like this own, its own little world. Right. That's even, you really do get the sense that these these elves are shaped by the wood they're in and they shape the wood they're in and they become so distinct from one another. So the necromancer has been in Mirkwood. Yeah. And so the elves of Mirkwood can't not be affected by, just like the wood, the forest can't not be affected by. Well, and I think I have not, actually ever finished the similarian but i think that the mirkwood elves are a tainted line or there's something huh. there's something not they're, as quite yeah. quite as high they're not as noble 
I think Elrond's not as noble. I think he's like no. Elrond he, has some man blood. He's in got him. man blood in him. Galadriel's like pure ethereal elf in all its power. But even Rivendell is great as it is, and maybe that's Tolkien accounting for some of the different characterization. And could be the Hobbit. Maybe a good storyteller's going to want to do that. Yeah, yeah. He's trying little. to do world building. So but yeah, there's a difference in the elf. Do you like these elves? Do you like Rivendell? I mean, why stop there? It's actually not an adventure. It's just like it's kind of a short. They had one adventure and then they took a little vacation and it was great. I mean, what does a kid get out of that chapter? It's a bigger world if you have a Rivendell in it. And you have this rest. Cool. It's got some mystery. And then you think of what it does for Sam if you've read The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. Sam being obsessed with the idea of elves and so excited to get to Rivendell. Yeah. Yeah, you get this lore about them. Here's this strange character who can read the letters on the swords and then send them on their way. And he knows all the lore that you'll never know. And everything about what happens in Rivendell is like this world that you are having opened up to you is way bigger. Yep. And its history is way richer than you're going to even get a taste of in this story. I mean, you know that, so surrounding this book, he'd already been dealing with some poems he had written, but also his goblins and he was starting to come up with this world that would become the lord of the rings mm-hmm. and so the silmarillion and partly just shows you some of tolkien's nerdiness which is he liked to build this world out he wanted to create this world right and so and flesh it out and so here you get a peek at that but it's also for a child that's really interesting like that there's something some aspect of this world you'll never get to know about there's depth to this history that you just don't get to know about it's there but it's not unlike when Lewis introduces the dwarves in the mi- in their minds in uh, Silver Chair. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's like, wow, I want a book about that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it with the Star Wars and maybe the book the about time. that would be really stupid, right, And but boring. It's fun to daydream but, about. But it. when you throw it into a different book, and it creates that sensation of, oh man, I'd like to know more about the elves. I wish we were on a journey with the elves. I'd like to read the book about <clears> the journey with the elves instead of the journey with the dwarves. Mm-hmm. Well, there is bad fantasy and bad sci-fi where it just feels like the world is only conjured enough to provide a space, an arena for the story that's happening right now. Yeah. It feels like it's just propped up and there's nothing really to it. But good fantasy, good sci-fi, good world building always makes the world sound bigger and more interesting than yep. you ever actually get a chance to explore. And Tolkien, I really think... Maybe. I mean, I'm no expert, but it feels like, from to my knowledge, he sort of invented that. I mean, you think about the sophistication of what he's doing with The Hobbit compared to the good stuff that Lewis does with Find the Witch in the Wardrobe, for example, how, <clears throat> how much Tolkien's already fleshing out his world. And then you compare it to the pulp fantasy that would have been big right before that, you know, your Conan the Barbarian yeah, kind I mean, of stuff. It's like that stuff's really thin and people love it. It's fun, but... There's nothing to it. It's just like Conan went somewhere. There were bad guys that were created for this adventure. They did something bad. Conan slaughtered the bad guys. See, I mean, he would have had some predecessor in the sense of like the well, the world's in with William Morris influenced him so much. Has that element of there's this strange mystery around that you don't get to know about. Right. Evan Spencer has a little bit of that with the fairy queen, but it's more just allegorical. But this feels like a real created universe. That's interesting. Even just thinking about something like Mallory, though. It's flatter than this. It's much flatter. It's like, then King Arthur and his knights went into this woods, which we've never heard about. Yeah. And they had this adventure <laughs> with these people who will be we will be done with at the end of this section of the story. It's like Mario for the regular Nintendo versus Mario 64, where you actually could finally explore. That's the, the kind of what I'm Mario thinking. Universe. It really is the difference between a, a sky, side-scroller, a 16-bit game. Yeah. And like a game where you can just 
look around. Yeah. Wow. I'm glad we had the same metaphor that came to mind. Yes. A second great metaphor. Can I join the Nobel Peace Prize now? Nope. Not a chance. (laughs) Guys. Yeah? I think we're going to have to split the Hobbit. Much like good old Peter Jackson. (laughs) We're going to have to split the Hobbit into two parts. Can we ride some barrels next time? (laughs) Oh, Brandon, I thought you'd never ask. We will be definitely riding barrels. Wee! And you'll have a scene where your barrel pops out of the water and flattens about 20 orcs. Thank you, Nathan. And then, (laughs) guys, Brandon, not fat, thin. Okay, now you need to go the opposite direction. (laughs) They can see me on our Instagram quite often. (laughs) Yeah, you guys want to come to your own judgments there. (laughs) Now, Brandon, just, I don't know, imagine Brad Pitt. Imagine him, yeah. Yeah. And then you don't have to think about Brandon that much. Yeah. It's like a palate cleanser. It's like a palate cleanser. (laughs) Like every time, like I close my, I see Brandon, I close my eyes, I think Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, Brad Brad, Pitt, Brad Then I look at Brandon again. I try not to throw up. Yeah. And I'm glad to know when you need to not throw up here. Automatic reaction is to think about Brad Pitt. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty strange. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I think it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Guys, (laughs) this podcast went into some silliness, but we're going to be back next time with The Hobbit. Part two, we'll call it The Desolation of Smaug. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to divide oh, it into three idea. parts. <laughs> the third part can be The Battle of, Battle five, of five Armies. armies. But we'll be back again with more Hobbit. But first, let's do some donor shout-outs. Let's. Brandon, what kind of donor shout-outs do you want to do today? I don't know. Let's decide what category, what race of Lord of the Rings character they would belong to. All right. I'll let... You guys both shout it out, and you both say what race, and we'll see if you agree. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Robert, Robert and Rhonda, Rhonda the, the Lovebirds. Hobbits. Hobbits. You know what? I won't. You guys don't even have to shout it. I'll just shout it, and then you say the race. Sound okay. good? Okay. Sounds okay. great. The Artful Anthony Dodger. Oh. Elf. Yeah. Wow. Well, oh, two so for far. two. Little Anthony Cigar Store. Man. Yeah, man. The Immortal Chelsea E. Elf. Elf. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Hobbits. Hobbits, yeah. Lily of the Valley. Elf. The name like that, it's got to be an elf, yeah. Andrew Nestor, the lovebirds. Orcs. <laughs> Orcs. <laughs> All right, so far, no disagreements. This is exciting. The Keith Master. Troll. David's Mighty Men Trucking. Wizards. Wizards, yeah. John and Jill. No, no, the eagles. It's yeah, because they travel. Tra- they, tra- they, they, they transport. Travel. Yeah. They transport. Yeah. yeah, barrels. They're barrels. John and Jill and little baby Max. Uh, oh, man. John. John's a man. 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 What about Jill and little baby Max? Elves. <laughs> there you go. So they're like uh, Aragorn and that elf he married. Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Huh. Mm, they're hobbits. We've been to their house. They were very hospitable. Yeah. They made us eggs. Very hobbits. Yeah. Fairy, princess of wonder and happiness, Mother Beth. Well, I guess an elf. She's a fairy. Mm, sure. Elf. Are there fairies in The Hobbit? Anna was wondering. Are there fairies in The Hobbit? It's like mentioned fairies early on. I guess there are fairies. Yeah. Huh. Console Prime Adam. Dwarf. A Sith Lord. <laughs> Dwarf. <laughs> Jeremy the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Sauron. Mm, Urukai. Urukai, yeah. Uh, nice. Princess. No. Uh, Nathan, not me. Yes, Urukai is uh, Lord of the Rings. Does it have to be Hobbit or does it just be the Tolkien verse? It's the Tolkien verse. The Tolkien verse, okay. Uh, Wait, who's this now? Uh, Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan, you. Nathan, not Nathan. It's a wizard. Yeah, he'd definitely be a wizard. Nice. We need a. Studying uh, the lore. I'm waiting to find out who's a spawn of Ungoliath, by the way. Maya! 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 Balrog. 
Sure, yeah. Balrog. Balrog, wow. Balrog. A Balrog. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good to me. Uh, Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Uh, They're definitely from Numenor. Yeah. Weird. Wow. (laughs) Guys, we did not plan this. Maybe you guys will get the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, DJ Sammy G. Ring Wraith. (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely a Ring Wraith. (laughs) Uh, Danny the Dude. He's going to have another Ring Wraith. No, he's one of those... um, Barrel, barrel whites or whatever it it's is. A barrel white. It's wow. a barrel white. <laughs> All right. Uh, Benny and Danny Tiberius. Benny and Danny Tiberius. Mm. Dwarfs. 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 Yeah, yeah. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Oliphants. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys who ride the Oliphants from yeah. way down south. <laughs> the racists. <Yeah. laughs> Caricatures. Uh, Professor and Lady X. Those dead ghost things that Aragorn has to go. Oh yeah. Release. Oh the ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. The ghosts. Lavender's green. Dylan Dylan. Lavender's blue. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan, I love you too. One of those elves that lives in Lothlorien and sings a lot. A singing Lothlorien elf. No constrictor. Ooh. Mm. Scary guy. Shelob. That's like the spawn it. of Ungoliath. Yeah. Right there. Marichip. Marichip. What would she be? <laughs> She's a mouse. Human mouse. Like, it's gotta be like Hobbit-ish. Yeah. Or kind of maybe she's a shapeshifter thing like Bayorn or whatever. What's his name? Or like... uh she could be like a river goddess or something like that, like Tom Bombadil's wife. Oh, yeah. She's she's Tom Bombadil's wife. There you go. Mrs. Bombadil. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. Elf. Six-pack Zach with a mean attack and Catherine with a knack for laying down the smack. Hmm. Well, what races are we missing? Well, it has to be a race that with a knack for laying down the smack and a mean attack. Dwarf? Dwarfs can lay down the smack, yeah. They certainly can. Anthony, who is cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Work. Orc, yeah. yeah. Orc, if there ever was one. <laughs> Just because he told us he didn't like cheese. Never been vilified. Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. That's tough. Because he's got to be in uh, Dunedain. Yeah. He's a ranger. Rachel. 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 It's a voice. Uh, she's Sauron herself. She's so Sauron. Wow. Sauron. Whoa. It's, it's that voice. You yeah. Know? Sorry, Rachel. You are Sauron himself. Sauron does kind of talk like... <laughs> <laughs> Lever Tank Thomas. Uh, can he be Tom Bombadil? Like her take sure. Lever Tank Tom Bombadil? I love it. A Midnight Ninja Ellen. Midnight Ninja Ellen. She's a, she's a Mirkwood elf. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Queen Kangeta. Kangeta. Uh, she's a, one of the Rohirrim. Yeah, we forgot all about those guys. Nice. Like Ellen? We said men. Yeah. She, I am no man. She isn't. She's <laughs> yeah. Queen Kangeta. Return of the Jedediah. Return of the Jedediah, man. He's coming back from where he used to be, which is way over in the West. So he is... Gondorian? Yeah, Gondorian. There you go. <laughs> Ironclad logic. <laughs> I argue with that. <laughs> Jay of Rack and Ruin. Ooh, boy. He is Saruman. Saruman. Wow, yeah. Saruman did cause a lot of... Oh, rack. there's a race we haven't even mentioned yet. Oh, well, could it be Timothy the Rider at dawn? Of course it could. Oh, he's got to be right here. I'm right. They ride. Yeah, he's a writer. He's a writer. Well, what about Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love bees? Yeah, of course. They're ants. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Ants probably love bees. Yeah. Maddie, 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 and finally, our latest donor, Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Sweet, sweet Jamie, Jamie Sunshine. It's a hobbit. It's a hobbit. Sweet, it's a hobbity sweet. name. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Sunshine. What was the name of Sam's daughter slash girlfriend? Rosie. They, Rosie? He had a daughter and a girlfriend. Um, his girlfriend was Rosie. Rosie, yeah. And what was his daughter's name? Rosie. I don't know. Rosie too. 
Rosetta. Rosetta. Maybe she was. Maybe he had a son that was named after Frodo or something like that. I forget. Me. Me too. I forget. I think he had a son and a daughter. Yeah. Well, there you go. Booking today was uh, written and produced and executive produced. If you want to support it, you go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. You can get access to weekly behind the scenes videos. The latest one was called Gummy Goof Up and it involves it being Jake's birthday. <laughs> it sounds like a sitcom or something. It involves it's Jake's <laughs> birthday and Brandon gets Some... him an interesting gift. Whoa. Yeah. And you may have even heard that gift being used a little bit on the podcast today. I hope not. If so, I apologize. Hopefully not. But if you're a misophonic person who has those kinds of things, then you may have heard something. Uh, I am. So Samwise ends up having 13 children. Really? Yeah. (laughs) He could have gone to our church. Eleanor the Fair, Frodo, Rose, Mary, Pippin, Goldilocks, Hamfast, Daisy, Primrose, Bilbo, Ruby, Robin, and Tolman. Wow. There you go. If there's any ham fasts out there listening, <laughs> this next kid I'm having is going to be named Frodo Hamfast. Frodo Hamfast. And folks, let's remember, you might have been thinking about a snarky comment such as Brandon would never go on a ham fast. But let's remember, Brandon is thin. Support us at patreon.com forward slash the booking. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>